And here we go. Um, it was truly a masterpiece. I don't know about all that. Ugh, absolutely the worst movie ever. Hands down, bar none, the greatest action spectacular ever. Well, uh, the other one just stuck them up. Are you asking me? I promise I'm not going to sing this time around. Welcome to Don't Be Crazy Podcast. I'm Justin Cavender, and with me as always is Mr. Zachary Rancourt. Here we discuss and dissect what makes a film, past or present, absolutely amazing or just pure rubbish. All that we ask of each other, don't be crazy. Don't be crazy, Zach. It's Xbox Day. <laughs> yeah, yesterday was. I know. I'm I'm just jealous because I really want an Xbox One Series X 360, but uh, <laughs> I, I don't I don't I don't have I don't have, and I've been trying to. I actually wanted the Series S, uh, but who knows? I'll, I'll I'll take what I can get. And um, but yeah, I'm 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 very jealous, man. It's it's awesome. I am excited that you got what you love so most in this world. But uh, how is it so far? I couldn't tell you. I haven't even had a chance to play it. What? Why yeah. not? I'm busy with the work job, man. Some oh. of us work for a living. Damn, dude. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'm, I'm hoping that you have hours and hours of enjoyment with it because that's what I want for you, my friend. I want you to be satisfied. Yes. I like being satisfied. It is uh, pretty easy to satiate me. I'm a simple creature. Yeah, just get you Del Taco, get you a couple monsters. Uh, what else do you like? You like the sweet tarts there, the giant sweet tarts? Yeah, so. <laughs> Al- or not Alex. My mom got me this big old, big old, like, almost like a Tootsie Roll bank, but like three times the size, and it's all Smarties. I don't even know where the hell she got it from, but I've just been unloading on that thing. It's like the size of a bazooka, and it's almost all gone. Oh, wow. Yeah. uh, It was a lot. (laughs) I had like a little graveyard of plastic wrappers on my (laughs) coffee table. Like imagine that when you've seen photos where you go into someone's house and they're like a smoker inside their house, you know, which is the worst. There's just an ashtray with like 50,000 cigarettes all just kind of littered about. That's what it was like, but with Smarty wrappers. Ugh. It was awesome. Jeez. I uh, <laughs> got to grind them up and snort them. That's what a real party is. <laughs> but uh, I, I cleaned up my mess. No big deal. So there's no evidence. Just the giant uh, tube of Smarties. <laughs> I had to cut a hole in that lid, too. So it is like a, like a Tootsie Roll bank. <laughs> so what have you been watching? What do you got? Oh, um, good question. I've been so numb. Uh, from watching the election stuff that uh, I was very, very happy on Saturday, of course. And uh, I didn't really watch anything after that. It was mostly just celebrating. But then I started picking back up into movies and I watched uh, Creed because I love Creed. It's an amazing movie. Um, I watched The Expendables and that movie did not age well. Um, I thought it was very, very cheesy and was just a little over the top. But isn't it supposed to be, though? I was going to say that's the whole point. So... Um, I don't know. It, it just sucks going from Creed to the Expendables and seeing the caliber of acting that that Stallone can give. <laughs> sure, sure. And and yet in you know in the Expendables, he's just like no, uh, eh, uh, like just stupid shit, right? You know, I gotta and kill so, the bad guy. Yeah, he's like, Jason he's Statham, like, you can kill the second to bad bad guy. Yeah. <laughs> Only thing faster than me is light, and I'm like, oh man, that's like five minutes into the movie. But Did uh, anyway, you say that for real? Yeah, he, yeah when. <laughs> When he's like him and Statham are getting ready to throw knives or shoot the the pirates at the beginning. And he's just like, 
I got the four on the left, you got the two on the right, or whatever. And he's like, only thing faster than me is lightning or light or whatever. He's uh, it's 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 a pretty stupid line. But anyways, um, is it worse so- than? Do you know what happens to a toad when it's struck by lightning? Because <laughs> that's still my number one least favorite line of all time. I don't know. I'm sure there are worse out there. That one's pretty bad, though. Especially by such a good actor in Halle Berry. But mm. yeah, you know, what are you going to do? Uh, I watched Never Been Kiss. Um, I like that movie. I think it's it's funny. It was, With the Drew uh, Barrymore's? Oh, yeah. It came out in 99. But uh, I enjoyed it. And then I watched Friday on HBO Max and Friday is hilarious and I haven't seen it in a very long time. Oh man, I got I got my first speeding ticket coming home from seeing Friday next Friday. The next Friday. <laughs> Ooh, I like next Friday. Yeah. The crack <laughs> the Cucamonga cracker killers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh man, this guy he I was out in the middle of the desert and he just all of a sudden and I was like shit. There wasn't a light in sight and then I just see this blue and red behind me. And I was like son of a bitch. Did you say y'all can't fuck with the police? I did not. Y'all can't fuck with the police. I was uh, but a young child. I was like 19 or something and um, <laughs> got my first ticket. <laughs> Craig, something going on with them essays across the street. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that movie's ridiculous. <laughs> I love I love Next Friday. Friday, the first one is hilarious, but Next Friday might be one of those ones that's like almost funnier than the, the original. It's so funny. But uh, yeah, and then our discussion of Beverly Hills Cop, the other podcast, really got me really got me thinking. So um, it had been a very long time since I had seen Beverly Hills Cop. So I, I purchased it and it is so funny, Justin. Did you know that it's a funny movie? <laughs> I did. I, I probably know that whole movie by heart. You I've know, seen it so many times. <laughs> the Capricone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Victor. Yeah. Oh, it's so great. Tell me. Herpes, herpes Civilitis 10. <laughs> Herpes simplex ten, yeah. Simplex ten, yeah. yeah. She's tall, just... gray hair, Capricorn, Victor. Capricorn. <laughs> yeah. Aside from Cleveland, great. this is the worst security I've ever seen. Oh man, have you? Did you watch two yet, or just the first one? No, I wanted to let uh, the first one kind of soak in for a little bit. So I do, I do plan on buying the second one. Um, the it, it's hard to find digital for it because it's just kind of expensive. And I'm going to ask you, is it worth buying the third one or is it kind of like eh? the third one has some funny stuff? <laughs> uh, I can appreciate the third one, but uh, I would say my favorite, I would say the order of my favorites are two, one and three. Interesting. OK, I'll buy two then. I'll just uh, I'll buy it just because you, you told me to. You said it was a good movie and I should go see it. <laughs> two is so badass, dude. OK, well, it I, just I, I, I cranks yeah. up the. The violence to like 11, dude. It's so badass. Not I that I need about, a violent movie, but. I forgot about Surge. I forgot how hilarious he is. Surge, too. yeah. He's in <laughs> He's in three. Uh, is he not in two then? I don't think so. Oh. What does he say? He's like, tell him Axel Foley. Ancho, <laughs> Foley. Yeah. Aquel. Aquel. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Get the fuck out of here. he's like, Foley is here to see her. <laughs> yeah. That's he's pretty like, good. I like he's like, how much is this? One hundred and three thousand dollars. Get the fuck out of here! And he goes, I know, I cannot. <laughs> I am working. Yeah, it's pretty good. <laughs> so, anyways, yeah. So that's what I watch, man. And then a lot of The Office. I just keep The Office on in the background. So, um, but uh, sorry, that was long. What did you watch? What did I watch? Not much. I've been kind of a busy little bee. I have been watching. I watched The Witcher. I plowed through that. I hadn't watched it yet. And mm-hmm. uh, it's eight episodes, and each one's about an hour. And um, it was really, really good. I, I enjoyed it. It was a, a slow burn, a lot of world building, a lot of a, 
like I thought it was pretty brave of like the showmakers to just or showrunners rather to just kind of just assume that you would buy into it as quickly as you did. <laughs> did you watch yeah. it by chance? No, I've, I've been meaning to, and I started playing The Witcher Three, and I just could not get into it. I know a lot of people are like, "Oh, this is my favorite game in the world." I just couldn't get into it. Um, I'll give it another shot, and I, I do love Henry Cavill. Um, I know that he's your husband, but uh, I, I, man, I, I'll watch it. I've, I've heard it's good, and I think they're doing a second season, right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, sometime in 2021 is when that'll air, but there's just a lot going on. Uh, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of kingdoms, like the names that they throw at you, not, not just character names, but like just different areas of this continent that you're just supposed to know what the hell it is and what it's about. So like, <laughs> I was like, I don't even know who the hell these people are talking about right now. And they're just Morphin like, and, foreign. Yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, and then suddenly there's, you know, there's, there's an episode where, it's just like a banquet. So a lot of the different heads of houses kind of show up. So you get to kind of get a feel for what it is that they're talking about. But at, for like three or four episodes, you're like, what the fuck are they talking about right now? It's, it's speaking Pokemon talk and it's just not gelling with me, but I was just kind of along for the ride. So it worked out, but it was a pretty big um, assumption that I would stick around. I know a lot of people gave up on it and I think that that's fair. I don't fault them. I just didn't really have, um, I had time on Sunday and Monday to watch them. So I did, <laughs> there was nothing yeah. else to do. And, uh, I just kind of plowed through it and I had been putting it off for almost a year now. So I was like, well, shit, I'll just go ahead and do it. So uh, I watched that. And then I'm watching a lot of neon Genesis Evangelion. That's on Netflix. I hadn't seen it since college. And so it was it's really fun to just kind of revisit it about halfway through that kind of have it on as I'm working. And, uh, I stopped for a second and go, Oh shit. Or fuck me, that's crazy. <laughs> and then uh, I go back to work. <laughs> but good is time. it um is it subtitled or is it dubbed? No, it's it's dubbed. In fact, Netflix mm. has changed some of the uh, the dialogue around uh, to make it a little less offensive, and they cut out some of the nudity uh, because it's kids. At the end of the day, it's fourteen year old children that are saving the world, and so they so as we don't end up on watch list <laughs> they cut out the, <laughs> the kitty porn i guess is how you could say uh but in the in the true sense of it being uh dubbed i'm able to continue working and not look at the screen you know what i mean i can just kind of listen to it but right. i mean even even 20 years ago uh you know the u.s got dubbed versions of this sure yeah i'm sure you could probably find a way to get a, a sub version and then, you know, um, G Kids actually just got their hands on the digital rights to it. So they're going to be releasing a version for people to own a big box set and a, a digital version. So last week you spoke about, um, oh God, what was it called again? That, that new anime that's Jujutsu, out. Jujutsu Kaisen. Yeah. Yeah. Holy shit. Is, is, uh, is that available anywhere else other than Crunchyroll? No, they're the ones uh, that are doing okay. it, actually. Well, my friend Jeff might have Crunchyroll, and I would be interested in in getting into it um, just to watch, especially if it's only five or six episodes in. I think yeah, so there's on Friday, so six episodes now. It'll be seven uh, later this week. Yeah, yeah I want I want to take your recommendation on it because that's what good friends do, Justin. They take recommendations and they run with it. Sure, but I I am biased because my company sells toys for that show. I know, <laughs> so, so it's quite possible <laughs> you could not take my word for it but i actually really enjoy it so that's all there is to it <laughs> well that's all that matters that's yeah. all that matters mm -hmm. and how 
for all you Venture Brothers fans out there. Um, so this week we are going to be doing Ocean's Eleven from 2001, directed by Mr. Steven Soderbergh, who you might know from such films as Out of Sight, Aaron Brockovich, Traffic, Contagion, and of course Ocean's Eleven, Twelve, and Thirteen. Which, truth be told, I actually can't stand Ocean's Twelve, but really? I, I enjoy Eleven and Thirteen. Yeah, I think Twelve More sucks. Like Steven Soda bread. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> Sourdough bread. Didn't he do Logan Lucky? Did you see Logan Lucky at all? I did not know. Oh, okay. Well, you're missing out. So yeah. I don't know about all that. <laughs> if I hadn't seen it, chances are I'm not interested in watching it. Whoa. Damn. Shit. Did we ever do Milongro Beanfield War? No, I, I was God listening. Damn it. <laughs> so I was listening to an older an older episode, and uh, I can't remember what episode it was. But you you talked about that how you watched it. I wonder if it's still on the HBO Max there. I don't know, but it's really funny because Daniel Stern is like this. Uh, he's like a professor type, and he's he's like, oh, I could teach your people how to do this and that, and the the mayor's like. If we don't know how to do it already. Chances are we're not interested in learning. <laughs> What's it called? The Milagro Beanfield War, directed by Mr. Robert Redford. Pretty good. Just check it out. <laughs> um, and uh, your buddy, Mr. Christopher Walken's in it. He is? Yeah, he's the bad guy. He's a gaucho. Whoa, dude. Caballero. Thanks for ruining it. <laughs> yeah. he, he's Thatcher. Yeah, <laughs> in Kansas City. In Kansas City. He came into my room and he stole my tooth. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, the film was written by Mr. Ted Griffin. The original screenplay was actually written by Harry Brown and Charles Letter. Now, I don't know if you knew ahead of time that this was a remake. When it came out in 2001... I was not aware it was a remake until like the day I watched it. Um, I did some did some reading about it, and I was like, "What? It's a remake? Oh my god! I didn't know that." Did you know ahead of time that it was a remake? No, I, I did not. Uh, in two thousand one, I was fourteen, so I didn't know. I didn't know nothing about nothing when I was fourteen. <laughs> yeah, you but, still uh, know nothing about nothing. I, I know something about something, but um, <laughs> yeah. So uh, I, I didn't know it was a remake until later in life, uh, and that was in the sixties, right? Because Sinatra. It was basically yeah, like nineteen sixty. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So no, I um I unfortunately did not know it was a remake. Yeah, and I think most of the character names are changed aside from Danny Ocean. Is his name? Oh, okay. Never mind. Yeah. So I his see, name is saying. the same, but everyone else I think is different. No, Saul. I don't know. I haven't seen it. I never, I never saw the original. Hmm. I just think I remember reading that that it no one had the same names. Yeah. So there is that. But the film stars quite a bit of uh, A-listers. You have George Clooney, Brad Pitt, Don Cheadle, Bernie Mac, Elliot Gould, Casey Affleck, Scott Kahn, Eddie Jameson, uh, Shalbo <laughs> Quinn. <laughs> Sorry. I'm like trying to like to hold my chest pain and read at the same time. And then I came across a lot of interesting letters all at once. Shalbo <laughs> 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 uh, Quinn. Uh, Carl Reiner, Matt Damon, Julia Roberts, and Andy Garcia. All right. Are you ready to get into some critical reception? Yeah. All right. Here we go. So one of our favorites, Rachel Wagner from Rachel Reviews. Woo. She says, quite possibly one of the best remakes ever made. 
Wow. Yeah. Rachel coming in hot. Coming Damn. in hot. I get I get burned a little bit from that. <laughs> what, My what hands that? hurt, yeah. Let's <laughs> <laughs> go owie. Uh, what is that? I, I don't get what you're saying. Because <laughs> <laughs> like it was you said coming hot, so I got burned. Oh. <laughs> Why did you sound like Heimlich from Bugs Life? <laughs> I don't know. That's my that's my silly voice. <laughs> you have okay. That's your silly voice. <laughs> I have a lot. Yeah, <laughs> you have a lot of silly voices. Pretty much all all of your friends at a certain point start doing a Justin voice, and none of them are are incorrect. It's always D all of the above. So <laughs> sure, that's fair. I have some fun ones. <laughs> you do. Are you done? No, I'm sorry. <laughs> I got the gigs. I got the gigs. I tonight. got giggle juice. I got I got that many ounces in this thing. Maybe that's why your chest hurts. <laughs> Sixteen fluid ounces of the giggle juice. Oh jeez. <laughs> anyway, sorry, I'm done. That's like that's like almost that's like a pound. <laughs> <laughs> Those are fluid ounces, not uh not I'm fat not ounces. <laughs> This wisdom, this wetness is heavy. That's a pound of giggle juice. <laughs> it's better than a pound of other things, I guess. Right. Like flesh. Gross. Yeah. I saw this little thing on the Twitter there where it was like, it's like when someone hands you a baby. Someone, try saying, no thanks, I'm a vegetarian, when someone hands you their baby to hold. <laughs> I thought that was funny. A real, a real hoot. Jesus. Yeah. Uh, Todd McCarthy from Variety, who's a top critic, mind you, says a lark for everybody concerned, including the audience. Uh, Peter Branshaw from The Guardian says a ridiculously enjoyable caper. Like the great Muppet caper. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yes, just like it. (laughs) With a little less uh, Muppets. A little less animal. (laughs) Yeah. I don't see any negative reviews. Jesus, and I'm not going to go digging. Yeah. Hold on. Let me view all critic reviews. Hold on. We'll find a bad one. Page one. No. Oh, there was one. I saw one. Oh, my God. It came so fast. <laughs> came like a bat out of hell. Meatloaf. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I won't do that. Uh, Joe Lazito from Big Picture, Big Sound. He gave it a rotten to me. He gives it a, a, a two out of four, 50%. Whatever you do, don't pay attention, is what he says. What? I don't know. Did, did he not pay attention? Is that why I he didn't like it? Joe. <laughs> Joe's got the uh, the problems there. He don't, he don't like a good time. He Jeez. is anti the whole establishment. <laughs> the film had a budget of $85 million. Opening weekend, it made a whopping $38.1 million. And that was on December 9th, 2001. In the good old American United States, <laughs> you got a whopping gross of $183 million. And worldwide, $450 million, Enough to warrant two sequels. Whoa. How about that? Uh, Oh, this is the part where I read the trivia. So this is the trivia that I will read. The Bellagio let the crew tap into their security system to get real surveillance footage of the casino. Is that true? That's pretty crazy. uh, That feels weird that a casino would just expose their 
surveillance system and their deep dark secrets to to a movie. They might, I mean, I'm sure they changed I mean, it after that. I mean, they were but, just showing cameras. They weren't showing like, uh, you know, the actual like how it works. You weren't getting like a tutorial or anything like that. I don't know, man. I think I think a real thief could probably figure it out. So sure. <laughs> I, don't know. I think I think it's got to be really, really hard to steal something. Even Look, in 2021. In a if, casino. If, if Tony Stark could do it in a cave with a bunch of spare parts, then I'm right. sure a smart Tony person could Stark do it. Tony Stark did it in a cave. <laughs> with some scraps. <laughs> Yeah, there's like a delay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's like, I'm not done yelling at you yet. Hold on. <laughs> That's pretty good. Uh, the cast did gamble off hours. Uh, while there's disagreement between who won the most, George Clooney says Matt Damon. Damon says Brad Pitt. And that doesn't surprise me about Damon because he did the rounders there. So I'm sure he, you know, he knew how to not splash the pot and whatnot. And uh, Clooney managed to lose 25 hands of blackjack in a row. Oof. <laughs> Jeez. Stick to your day job there, Clooney. The, uh, the script was sent to Julia Roberts with a $20 bill attached. Included was a note from George Clooney that said, I hear you're getting 20 a picture now. This, of course, is a joke referencing Julia Roberts becoming the highest paid actress at $20 million per picture. Damn. That's a lot of money. The lead cast members lived at the Bellagio during filming, each in a separate 7,000 square foot villa. What? Dude, that's crazy. That's pretty awesome, though. Um, yeah, that's a lot of room. That's 7, a, too much room. Yeah, <laughs> like I just house. need like I need like 200 square feet and that's it. I just need a shower and a bed. A toilet. Communal. communal. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Like a locker room. Don Cheadle is uncredited. He is. Despite having a major role. This is due to a dispute over his billing. Cheadle wanted the title billing alongside George Clooney, Matt Damon and Brad Pitt. When he was refused, he refused to be credited at all. Cheadle received a. Sheetle received above the title billing in Oceans 12 and Oceans 13. That is interesting. I did not know that. Huh. Yeah. You know, what's funny is when I was counting, like I was putting the cast on there. I'm like, I'm like, why do I only have 10 assholes on here? And like, I was like, are they counting <laughs> Julia Roberts as the 11? And then I Shoot. looked and I'm like, I'm missing Don Sheetle. And then I'm flipping to the credits. I'm like, where is this guy? And he's literally like at the <laughs> bottom because and he's uncredited. He's with like, he's next to whatever, casino player number six. <laughs> you know, because he's just uncredited. Yeah. Yeah. Yikes. Uh, Luke Wilson and Owen Wilson were to play brothers Virgil and Turk, but dropped out to film the Royal Tenenbaums. Danny Glover also turned down the role of Frank Catton in order to be in that film. Oh, that's neat. So we mentioned that in we mentioned that they turned down roles in our Royal Tenenbaum episode, mm-hmm. but we didn't we speculated who they might be. Uh, right. But this was just to show that, that we were correct. Yeah. They also would have been good at that at those roles, I believe. Oh, sure. They're great. Yeah. Steven Soderbergh said that the film was an opportunity to give audiences pleasure from the beginning to the end. That's what she said. He wanted it to be a movie that you just surrender to without embarrassment and without regret. I think that's a great way to sum it up. It is just a movie you can sit back and enjoy and be like, this was fun. This was a fun romp, a laugh out loud romp. So, um, yeah. OK, well, here is a synopsis. I believe this is from Wikipedia. Following his release from prison, Danny Ocean violates his parole by traveling to California to meet his partner in crime and friend, Rusty Ryan, to propose a heist. The two go to Las Vegas to pitch the plan to wealthy friend and former casino owner, Ruben Tishkoff. The plan consists of simultaneously robbing the Bellagio, the Mirage, and the MGM Grand Casinos. 
Ruben's familiarity with casino security makes him very reluctant to get involved, but when he starts to think of it as a good way to get back at his rival, Terry Benedict, who owns all three casinos, Ruben agrees to finance the operation. Because the casinos are required by the Nevada Gaming Commission to have enough cash on hand to cover all their patrons' bets, the three predict that on the upcoming night of a highly anticipated boxing match, the Bellagio Vault will contain more than $160 million. Danny and Rusty recruit eight former colleagues and criminal specialists. Linus Caldwell, a young and talented, talented pickpocket. Frank Catton, a casino worker and con man. Virgil and Turk Malloy, a pair of gifted mechanics. Livingston Dell, an electronics and surveillance expert. Basher Tar, an explosive expert. Saul Bloom, an elderly con man. And the amazing Yen, an accomplished acrobat. Several team members carry out reconnaissance at the Bellagio to learn as much as possible about the security, routines, the behaviors of the casino staff, and the building itself. Other members create a precise replica of the vault with which to practice maneuvering through its formidable security systems. During this planning phase, the team discovers that Danny's ex-wife, Tess, is Benedict's new girlfriend. Rusty urges Danny to give up on the plan, believing Danny incapable of sound judgment while Tess is involved, but Danny refuses. On the night of the fight, the plan is put into motion, Danny shows up at the Bellagio purposely to be seen by Benedict, who, as predicted, locks him in a storeroom with Bruiser, a bouncer. However, Bruiser is on Danny's payroll and allows him to access the vent system and join his team as they seize the vault, coincident with activities of their other team members in and around the casino. Rusty calls Benedict on a cell phone Danny dropped in Tess's coat earlier and tells him that unless he lets them have half the money in the vault, they will blow it up. Benedict sees video footage confirming Rusty's claims. Benedict complies, having his bodyguards take the loaded duffel bags to a waiting van driven by remote control. Benedict has his men follow the van while he calls in SWAT to try and secure the vault. The SWAT team's arrival causes a shootout that sets off the explosives and incinerates the remaining cash. After affirming the premises otherwise secure, the SWAT team collects their gear and departs. As Benedict arrives to examine the ruined vault himself, his men stop the van and find the bags were only loaded with flyers for prostitutes. Benedict studies the video footage and recognizes that the, that the flooring in the vault on the video lacks the Bellagio logo, which had been added only recently to the vault. It is shown that Danny's team used their practice vault to create fake footage to fool Benedict. Furthermore, they themselves were the SWAT team members and used their gear bags to take all the money from the vault right under Benedict's nose. Benedict goes to see that Danny has seemingly been locked up in the storeroom throughout the heist and thus innocent of any crime. As Tess watches via CCTV, Danny tricks Benedict into saying he would give up Tess in exchange for the money. Benedict, unsatisfied with Danny's plan to get back the money, orders his men to escort Danny off the premises and inform the police that he is violating his parole by being in Las Vegas. Tess leaves Benedict and exits the hotel just in time to see Danny arrested. The rest of the team bask in the victory in front of the fountains of the Bellagio, silently going their separate ways one by one. When Danny is released after serving time for his parole violation, he is met by Rusty and Tess. They drive off, closely followed by Benedict's bodyguards. Ocean's Eleven. Very good. So when was the first time you saw Ocean's Eleven? And did you uh, did you enjoy it the very first outing? Uh, I was probably, so this came out in 2001. Um, I was probably, I mean, I remember my mom bought this on DVD and, uh, <laughs> God, I want to say it was like, yeah, I want to say yeah. it was sh- shortly after it came out. So maybe 2002 and well, somewhere it came out in, in December. In so yeah, yeah, I would say somewhere in the summertime, <laughs> somewhere in the city. Uh, but yeah, so probably 2002 and then we watched it on our DVD player. And it was great. 
but yeah, I remember my mom really liked it and my parents, they used to go to Vegas all the time, but I never went because I was a young lad and I had never been to Vegas, but I imagined it was just like the movie portrayed it to be that and just like Vegas vacation. So, um, but I, I really enjoyed it for, for what it was worth. It was actually, I think that's pretty telling for a movie of, of this stature is a little, how old was I? Shit. Uh, when a little 14 year old Zach could understand the plot of this movie pretty well. And it didn't have to be, there was no handholding. My dad didn't have to pause it and be like, look here, dummy, this is what's going on. So I, I think Mr. Soderbergh did a really good job with that. But, uh, but yeah, and I, I did enjoy it. So what about you? How old were you? Uh, <laughs> so I was 21. <laughs> uh, I saw it in college. Uh, old man here. And uh, I, I, yeah, I really enjoyed it because well, this was, I was telling you uh, like last week, I was like, man, this was like the time for movies because it was Ocean's Eleven and Black Hawk Down and Royal Tannenbaums all within a month of each other. Yeah. And it was just a really good time to go to the motion picture show. And um, I think Dave pointed that out to me like last week and uh, or two weeks ago, whenever we did the Royal Tannenbaums episode, he's like, yeah, right. that was back when all kinds of cool shit was coming out. And I was like, oh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I had all my tickets up for that stuff for the longest time. But um, yeah, it was it was really fun. I, I just really dug the. I remember really liking the music and sort of that feel good vibe and just laughing at almost every scene. It was just uh, and there wasn't really any swearing. I mean, there's a one type. There's that one part where Amazing Yen like, like, where the fuck you been? But, you know, it's their, real... their one fuck that they get. Yeah. For a PG-13 movie. Exactly. And so it was just a lot of fun. I really liked it. That's, um, you know, that, that's really interesting. So Black Hawk Down, Royal Bombs, and this, they're all three vastly different films, in my opinion. Uh, all know, ensemble cast too <laughs> exactly and uh, oh yeah absolutely but you know you have black hawk down this this epic action movie of 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 grandiose and then you have um royal tenenbaums being a comedy but such a weird dry wes anderson comedy and, and really the thing that kind of pushed him over that edge after rushmore and then you have this movie with these huge a-listers because i mean who, who's bigger than Clooney, pitt and damon at that time really Right. Maybe Hanks and, and Roberts, who's bigger than that. It's just it's it's crazy. So, yeah, vastly different films. But that's that's fascinating that they all came out in the same month. Yeah. Big deal. The year of our Lord 2001. <laughs> yeah. Did I do that a couple of episodes ago or something like you've, that? You've done it the past couple episodes and it's just been <laughs> funny. I don't know why you said it. It was just funny. <laughs> this is what like, I mean. Where, where's he getting that from? <laughs> no, this is what I mean, because you say you say weird shit like this all the time. And I think it's hilarious. And so <laughs> we just end up rehashing it. So <laughs> gotcha. I was like, oh, that's pretty funny. Where'd he get that from? <laughs> I learned it from listening to you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, cool it, PSA. Oh, that's great. <laughs> the kid's got like all these drugs. He's got this suitcase yeah. full of drugs and his dad's like, yo, man, going through my shit. So heist films can be tricky because uh, in so many cases, there's just a plan that usually falls apart, usually because some cowboy bang, bang, shoot him up, deviates from said plan. And sometimes there's an accidental death, which, of course, raises the stakes and basically just tears the group apart. And we don't get any of that in this film. In fact, there's there's a base plan with several evolving pieces and the group is forced to adapt whilst playing to their strengths. At any point, were you annoyed with the near constant changes or did you find it refreshing to see a group of proper villains that were flexible and adaptable? So, I mean, well, like, what do you mean is are you saying 
Was I annoyed that the plan went off without a hitch, or am I no, annoyed that, that they that, had to adapt? No, there was just always something in the way. They 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 met constant roadblocks, but they were always able to get around them. See, did I you find that annoying, or did you did you find it refreshing? Because like a lot of times, it's like, oh, of course that we need these fingerprints, and oh, we we get this, and oh, we get that. But they let you know at the very beginning of the movie that this is an impossible job, but we're right. going to find a way to do it. You know, they're saying you know we can't fake prints. And we can't fake voice. You know, we can't do this. We can't do that. How are we going to do it? So I think that's interesting because typically in like heist films, you have almost a flawless plan, right? Um, Where everything happens exactly as planned. uh, And then they started kind of evolving in in film where you'd have a, a few different things change, like in Mission Impossible, where the rat comes and Leon, the professional, kills the rat and Ethan's just hanging right above that thing, right? So that that plan went really, really well until that shit happened and then he has to catch like a sweat dropping. So that's how you get the tension, right? But in this movie, even though there may have been hiccups in their plan, I didn't notice them or see them and it really did feel like everything was meant to happen. Right. So, So like with Danny, when Rusty was like, you're out, Danny, um, he didn't need to have the theatrics in front of the entire group if no one else knew that that was part of the plan. Like if, if the whole plan was for Danny to get captured by Benedict, I don't understand why they had to do the whole pomp and circumstance for for being like, you're out of here. You're I can't trust you sort of thing. I think everybody knew except for Linus. <laughs> so <laughs> I think they, it was just, just uh, yeah, oh. it was just like a like a eat a dick Linus ha ha <laughs> kind of thing. Everyone eat else was totally knew that it was going to work out. It oh, was just okay. a, it was just to make him sweat a little bit. So I mean, yeah, like uh, to me, I didn't see any flaws in it. I guess I guess what I'm and correct me if I'm wrong, but are you are you kind of getting at it's it's nice that they called out the the stereotypes of what could go wrong? Like oh we we can't get fingerprints because they won't match. We can't get voice prints because they won't match. Um, So-and-so, like, they're actually calling that out almost to be subversive. So what I'm saying, I guess I did a poor job of articulating this, is this movie is different than any other heist movie because they are, they're met with resistance, but they're always able to get around it. Any other movie, the whole group Mm would have separated. They would have said, fuck off. I don't want to do this anymore. You know, or they would, they would all die. Or somebody right. would do something that botched the whole plan to where it's like they'll kill somebody, they'll shoot a guard, or something like that. In this case, it was more of just a, eh, we'll figure something out. And I like that. <laughs> I like that they were so adaptable. It's like, oh, wow, we need to get where they they did this demolition thing. It botched our whole plan. So now we got to get this super mega, you know, earthquake causer thing that's going to make the power go out or whatever the case may be. And, uh, you know, they just kept having to to get new stuff. And then uh, th- what's cool about that is like, it's just one of those things where they have so many brilliant minds in the same room that someone's going to come up with a solution. Right. And I, okay, I get, I get more what you're saying. In, in certain films that I can think of where they have that conflict, like, like Hustlers is kind of an example. Maybe a job goes bad and one of the girls is gone now and she she's not part of the crew because everything was working so flawlessly and then boom, something happens. Right. From a narrative standpoint, that causes a conflict for the film. And as a viewer, we're like, oh, shit, the stakes are changed now. But for this movie, like we back didn't have to any what, of that. Exactly. But but I think it worked very well. And just like what Soderbergh said, you know, it's a movie that you just surrender to without embarrassment and without regret. And I think that that's so fascinating because 
you're absolutely right. When, when, when we're thinking of one thing, they're like five steps ahead of us. Yeah. Um, and so to me, I think there's something about being suave and savvy like that. I mean, that's why, that's why so many people love James Bond is because he is just so smooth. He's smoother than butter, man. Um, and I think he that gets it's caught a lot though, but he gets out of those situations with like the stupidest shit because the, the, the bad guy starts monologuing. Um, so it's, I, I, I mean, I, I get what I get what you're saying. And, but but to answer your question, no, it, it didn't annoy me. I really enjoyed how prepared they were for it. And because me as an audience member and this goes to with the editing and, and stuff of the film, me as an audience member, I'm like, oh, shit, how are they going to do that? How is this going to? Oh, they're definitely going to get caught. But seeing it unfold, you're like, oh, OK, I get right. what you're putting down. So, yeah, it was. Um, yeah, it, it, it was good. I really enjoyed it. But did you like that? Yeah, I loved it. This is one of my favorite movies. I, I dig the hell out of it. So, like, um, and I think what's cool about it is like they're explaining everything along the way. So it's not done. It's done almost like a documentary in a lot of ways. Like how to how we stole this thing. It's almost like it's already happened, and they're telling you how they did it. It's kind of weird how that works, and you just kind right. of along for the ride. So the way that the everything is edited and cut, they they explain something or. And it's happening right in front of your eyes. There's actually a lot of scenes where there's no dialogue, where they're literally just uh, we're watching the events play out. And there might have been mm-hmm. a voiceover at the beginning kind of thing that kind of laid out the foundation. And then you see it kind of play out almost like um, if you ever play the game Mousetrap, you know, where you're just you're waiting. Then you all of a sudden you crank the little dealio and then you're watching everything kind of come together. And I think right. that, that works great. But yeah, I, I, I agree with that. So I think it's funny, though, too, because then they use so many narrative time jumps in this that you kind of have to watch it twice, because once you know the the big reveal at the end and how it all unfolds, you kind of go back. So like when Frank is buying the vans and he says, you know, he's like shaking that guy's hand and he wants to get it down to sixteen thousand dollars cash. I understand that he wanted them in cash was because he wanted them untraceable. And like that was just little shit that I realized. I'm like, oh, okay. He didn't care about how much they were. He wanted it untraceable, but he needed to make it seem legit and uh, all that various stuff. So I, I thought it was, it, it's really interesting to watch these types of movies again because then you pick up on the little things, right? Right. So like when the, it's like an hour into the movie when the heist like kind of goes down, there's still a whole other hour left of mm-hmm. like the getting away with it kind of part. <laughs> so yeah. it's, that's another thing that's really tricky too. And so, you know, uh, just kind of jumping around a little bit, like, you know, the music does an incredible job of setting the tone for the entire film. You know, there's this mis- these mischievous melodies that are happening. There's the Vegas hype music, the piano lounge music, and just sort of that general feel-good music throughout the entire film. And so many times, as I was saying, you know, there's there's actors that were on screen and no one's even really talking because we're just literally watching the events play out and the music was actually leading the story. And we just kind of followed the characters sneaking about and, um, you know, the it was really cool how like Brad Pitt or George Clooney would be taking us through the scene of what's about to go down or what's going to happen. And even Elliot Gould's monologue about the, the three most successful attempts yeah. at robbing a casino are just, <laughs> is my favorite scene ever. Yeah. And he's like, you know, that guy even, you know, tasted fresh air before he was taken out. And then, you know, this other guy who came. Uh, they conquered and they shot him kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. It's like playing a take my breath away part. He's just in the parking lot, just getting mowed down by guns. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that tells you everything that you need to know. Like it is impossible to rob a casino. How are these guys going to do it? You know? Mm-hmm. And um, 
just really dug it. And and everyone that's like kind of good at their job, it's always fun to see that uh, aside from like the technical aspects of it, like, uh, you know, Basher's the only one that can really do explosives per se. And then like um, Levin- Levinson is the only one that can really do like the super mega computer hacking. But when it comes to being a con man or a, a actual thief, um, Danny Ocean is just the best in the business. Like he even mm-hmm. picks Linus's pocket, you know, after he just stole that guy's wallet. And it's always cool to see him be the best. And that's why he's leading this outfit, which I think is really cool. That's why it's called Ocean's 12, not Linus's 12. Yeah. And I mean, like, 11. I, <laughs> and I realize that this is a remake, but, but you know, I had never seen anything like this before. And it really just sort of, uh, for me, it was just like a real treat for my cinema going experience. And, right. and were you blown away as well? Or was that just kind of like, well, the first time, because you were younger when you saw it, were you just kind of like, meh? Or did you say that you actually... Like it was something that kind of got the gears going like, wow, I can't believe they did a movie like this. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, like like we said earlier, I didn't know this was a remake. And so I was just like, oh, my gosh, you know, this is awesome how everything unfolds. And the whole scene between Elliot Gould and Brad Pitt and George Clooney when they're explaining about the security of the casino, that's to set the the foundation for this story. You're like, how's he going to do it? How are they going to do it? And they're going to rob three. They're going to do three, not just one casino. Right. Yeah. It's, um, it's fascinating. And I, I really love heist movies like this, that you think the job is just crazy and you don't know what's going to happen. You know, I think of movies like Logan Lucky, Inside Man, Italian Job, those kind of ones. And Inside Man was one of my more favorite recent ones of memory. I know that came out back in like 2000 and five or something but i i think that one was was very very well done and uh, i really enjoy kind of learning as an audience member learning as we go like you're a detective basically right inside man was 2006 oh god i'm sorry it was one year <laughs> i got a screener copy okay so <laughs> <laughs> that was that was when i got my first flat tire when i saw that movie i know i remember talking about that yeah um now each of these characters was charming in their own way. Did you take to any particular character or did you enjoy them all? Of course, that would be a cop-out answer if you said that you <laughs> just enjoyed them all. So feel free to pick onesies or twosies. You are all my children. I love you equally. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Except for Rusty. Rusty is my favorite child. Um, I actually really loved Rusty. I loved how he had just this machismo and this confidence. And he was always eating something. And like, I am a man who appreciates food. And I thought it was very funny that he would eat something almost every time he was on screen. Um, I thought he was very, very smooth and he was a, a very calculated talker. A sp- oh, God, look at look at me, a very calculated speaker. So I think I think that's something that I would strive to be is never skip a beat and always have answers. Uh, so so I know that their dialogue, it's obviously a movie, but I know that their dialogue when him and Danny were having back and forth, he would always have a good quip or a a rebuttal or anything like that. And I think he was, he did it so well. I also really love Brad Pitt. I, I don't think I've seen too many uh, bad Brad, Brad Pitt films. So I really do enjoy his work, but uh, yeah, I think Rusty was probably my favorite. A close second. I think it's gotta be Danny Ocean just because George Clooney's fantastic too. So, but what about you? Uh, those are all good choices. I actually really like Bernie Mac's character, uh, Frank Canton. I thought he was so funny. He's like, what do you want me to do? Want me to get on the table and dance? Want me to smile at you? <laughs> He's like, shiny shoes, smile at you. Oh, shit. 
Let's we'll call it White Jack. Um, I thought he was so funny. And then, like when he's when you were talking about when he's buying the car and he's shaking the guy's hands and he's yeah. like talking about him. now my <laughs> sister she uses uh uh uh, uh aloe vera, aloe vera, but, you know, uh, and going on about traditional remedies and he's like kind of eyeballing him, looking him in the face. I'm like, yeah, what are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? And I just thought that was so great. Yeah, I do. I yeah, I, I like Bernie Mac a lot. Bernie Mac was also in Friday too. FYI, he played a uh, played the pastor, but it was funny. He's good. And Elliot Gould is so great. As soon as I saw this movie, I had went out and bought sunglasses to look just like his. And um, I wanted to I wanted to have like that gaudy Rubin look, you know, like those um, sort of like a copper tone, dark lenses kind of really big on your face. And I just I had to have and I still have their Paul Franks. I bought them in 2002. No, 2003. And uh I still own them and I wear them all the time. Um, I just love the way that they look. I like how gaudy they are. And um, Alex hates them, but I don't care. <laughs> of I, course. I mean, at this point, they're they're 17 years old. So I'm just like, hell yeah, dude. I love them. In, in Ocean's 12, were they bigger? I don't even remember. I think that they were bigger because I watched, I, 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 start, I started watching 12 last night and I'm like, holy shit, his frames are huge. <laughs> they're gigantic. But... I don't know. I do like his character a lot, though. Mm-hmm. He's great. He's always, he's always smoking a stogie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's good. Uh, what else we got here? Uh, let's see here. Now, is it hard for you to send, to suspend your disbelief when watching a bunch of A-listers like Clooney and Pitt or Damon? Or do you like do you just see the actor or do you see that their performance, it just transcends to a, all new, to a whole new level to where their identity is just gone and you see the character that they're playing because you're just so captivated by their performance. You know, sometimes this is easier watching a foreign film because you might not have never seen those actors before. Well, I mean, that's a really good point about the foreign films. Uh, I think it's, it's, it's beneficial to American audiences because we're exposed to some of these A-listers in like South Korean film or in Japanese film or in Eastern European film or whatever. But um, I do think that it's interesting and, and it, you, it's a gamble having all those A-listers because it kind of becomes a me, 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 me moment. And one of the biggest gambles of recent memory, I think, was Avengers Endgame, where you have all these A plus stars that are just bigger than bigger than Jesus, basically. And how do you give them adequate screen time if their if their goddamn name is not on the marquee, Mister Don Cheadle? It's a uh, it's 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 a it's a juggling act. But for for this movie, I, I really enjoyed how all of them work together. I think that there weren't any weak characters per se. I think they all had their shining moments and. Um, I, I think that Clooney, Pitt, and Damon specifically, I don't think they overshadowed each other at all. They all complimented each other. They all kind of had had nice conversations and give and take. Um, you could tell where they were on the hierarchy, where Danny and Rusty were definitely like the leaders, and they called each other out while also complimenting each other. And then Linus was that up-and-coming, naive guy who he just wanted to do his best and make them proud. He was the proud child, basically. But uh, I thought the chemistry was great, and I, I I thought that they they all brought in the different aspects of 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 this film, and they all had their moments, like I was saying. So now that I think of it, there are some movies, um, okay, like like The Counselor, right? So The Counselor was by uh, Ridley Scott, I think, but it was a Cormac McCarthy book, and that movie was awful. Uh, there was 
Grown Ups, that's another one with Adam Sandler and all his buddies had all these big A-lister stars. And that movie was garbage, in my opinion. Um, all those dumb holiday movies. I don't know. I think Gary Marshall directed them. You know, so like Val- not, Valentine's yeah, Day. Yeah, like Valentine's Day. Yeah, yeah. Those ones are terrible, but there are really good like, Christmas movies. Christmas. Uh, Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, I, you know, like the holiday, I really enjoy or the family stone. I really enjoy oh, But no, not but those. I mean, those but, yeah. but not like the, Valentine's Day was was I never saw it. But I mean, just the trailer alone was it's such bad. like so put off, like off putting yeah. rather. Uh, yeah, that's the one that had like Taylor Swift in it, too. Right? Mm-hmm. And Taylor yeah. Lautner. It's it's really nice. bad. But it seemed that and like there's one called New Year's Eve or something like that. And that one's really bad. But uh, I think that there's a lie. <laughs> Probably. There's a Labor Day. <laughs> there's a there's Welcome a flag to Labor's Day. day. <laughs> there's an Indigenous Peoples Day. Um yeah, there's there's all the days. But it's um it's one of those movies that you you, you would think you'd be like, oh I love all these actors, but unfortunately they just they don't complement each other and, and some are there just to be there and they don't do anything. So in this movie, I think it's vastly different because everyone has a significant role. And while you may have your main three with the Damon, the Pitt, and the Clooney, the other ones are are not just B parts. They all are integral to the plot, and they all have their moments that are either funny or or uh, very very important. I would say that they all actually all have funny moments in the movie too. All funny, all comedians. <laughs> yeah, there you go. They're doing a really good job of making me laugh. What are your top five ensemble cast films? And you can count Lord of the Rings as one, unless you only have a couple and you need to use all three Lord of the Rings films to fill out your top five. (laughs) The Fellowship of the Ring part one, the Fellowship of the Ring part two. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so the Lord of the Rings trilogy, I just group as one. I think it's the ultimate film ever. Don't at me. But uh, yeah, it's I, I think that has to be number one for me. And then you got Boogie Nights. I think Boogie Nights is definitely a fantastic ensemble film. Uh, I think Don Cheadle got some credit on that one, too. Right? But now, does it count <laughs> as an ensemble when a lot of them are up and coming? What's I mean, who was on that? Who was who really up and coming in that? I movie? mean, in 1997, a lot of those people were in that movie. I mean, obviously, Burt Reynolds and, and Julianne Moore were not, but... I think a lot of the actors, all the porn star actors, I think a lot of them were pretty new to Hollywood at the time. I mean, John C. Riley had been in, in a handful of good movies, so I don't know if they'd necessarily be. I mean, they haven't had like they haven't had like breakout roles. I don't think. Well, Mark Wahlberg was in Fear. He had that, and he had uh, the big hit, of course. But <laughs> he had a couple other movies. Big hit was in '98. Was that really? Wow. So uh, I, I still I mean, whatever. Think... Forget that I asked. I don't. I don't care. I forget that I asked. No, okay. I mean, I, I I still think I still consider it an ensemble film. So I think that's that is an interesting question, though. I, when when it came out, it may not have been viewed as an ensemble film because it's just a whole bunch of actors. But I think you know now in twenty twenty, we can definitely look back at those careers and say so. Does that kind of make sense? Sure. Okay. And then I think uh, Pulp Fiction is up there too. But do you think that would fall into kind of the same category or or not? Well, I just think Pulp Fiction's weird because a, not a lot of them are on screen together. Mm, okay. You know what I mean? Like Bruce Willis is by himself most of the time or he's with like a Yahoo. Yeah, <laughs> it's like John Travolta and, and Samuel Jackson are together, of course. And then, and then John Travolta and Uma Thurman 
But I think at the end of the day, there's a lot of it's broken up, whereas they're not like at the party together in the same room at the same time from a bulk of the movie. I think that's another thing that kind of adds to the what makes it an ensemble cast is they have to interact with one another. It's mm. not just 50 people in the movie. It's 50 people in the room interacting with each other. Okay. No, that makes sense. Okay, well, then I amend that. I will go ahead and put uh, either the Royal Tenenbaums or the Grand Budapest Hotel. I think that those are both fantastic examples of that then because the majority of the characters all interact with each other and they all have the moments. So, um, And I think Wes Anderson does the ensemble film very, very well. Uh, I think Clue. Clue is one of my favorite movies of all time, but I think that's, so that's definitely a, that's an ensemble a, that's cast. A, that's definitely an ensemble cast. You know, that's a lot of 80s comedians all together in one room. And what's one of the few that are successful. <laughs> There's yeah. a lot of those movies in the 80s where they tried to get a bunch of comedians together and it just didn't didn't work out. <laughs> right, right. But uh, yeah, no, Clue, Clue for sure. I mean, every single one of those people, you you know, all the actors, you know what they've been in for the most part. And then um, finally, and I alluded to it earlier, but Avengers Endgame, I think. I think that that uh, not only is it one of my favorite theater experiences of all time, I just think it's so well done with how you had these giant mega huge stars and you had this culmination of what 12 years of films and you put it all together. And on, on paper, it sounds like a horrible idea because it's like this is going to be a six hour movie. But they did it in about two and a half hours and everyone had a uh, important enough part to really matter and where it didn't feel like anybody was really getting cheated per se. So and that's just my opinion. But I, I, I believe that, though. So, yeah, Lord of the Rings, Boogie Nights, uh, Royal, the Royal Tenenbaums, Clue and Avengers Endgame. What about you? You know, I didn't even make a list. <laughs> <laughs> Do you agree with my list, though? Yeah, it's a good list. Okay, and I, and I think I think I think Boogie Nights is is a good is a good one. Um, you know, yeah, you're, they're, they're, I don't think they were all a listers right at the time. Um, like I, I certainly don't think I think Mark War, Mark Wahlberg was up and coming, and mm-hmm. I think that that even someone like um, like Todd, <laughs> yeah, Todd <laughs> Parker. Uh, no, no, no. Um, William H. Macy, you know, like he was in stuff, but you didn't right. really know his name. Right. You know what I mean? He was just that guy that's just in a hundred fuck movies. And you're like, oh, yeah, it's that guy. I like him. And that's a <laughs> hundred fuck movies. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just the way it works. Yeah, but he, uh, had, he, he had done Fargo at that point. And Fargo, I think, was incredible. I, but... I, I know that. But I think I think what I'm trying to get at, Zach, is that there's a difference <laughs> between a casual moviegoer and and someone that is a savant with movies and an actual critic and i I think your everyday audience needs the a-lister to recognize them a lot of times and know their name so when you see something like oceans 11 and you're like oh my god it's george Clooney, brad pitt julian roberts andy garcia fucking um matt damon when you can name how many movies can can you go to your mom and say, hey, you know, tell me who's in fucking Predator? You know what I mean? And she'll be like, I don't know. Like, Carl Weathers. Yeah, exactly. Jesse Ventura. Exactly. So that's that's yeah. my point is like, you know, yeah. there's a certain sort of weight and gravitas that comes with having an A-lister in these movies. And a lot of times when you have so many of them in one in one motion picture show, it can kind of take something away from it. Yeah. 
No, and I got it. And, and I know William H. Macy's biggest role was Jurassic Park 3. I, I, I know he became yeah. a household name after that. So, sure. no, I, I, yeah, I get what you're saying. That, that totally makes sense. So, yeah, I agree with what you're saying. But I, I think that post-creation and post-career of these, of these stars, let's just say 10 years down the road after Boogie Nights, these were all A-listers for sure. When they started, no, they were not. You're absolutely right. But 10 years after, yeah, they all were. You got your Heather Grahams, you got your Alfred Molinas even in there too, uh, Burt Reynolds and Julia Moore. I mean, Bur- Burt Reynolds was still an A-lister at this point. But oh, Julia yeah. Moore, and in fact, when I went and saw Boogie Nights, it was a bunch of old people in the theater because it was Burt Reynolds in it. <laughs> Like, do they know there's a bunch of porno stuff about to happen in this movie? <laughs> oh, my Lanta. Yeah. It's about to be a problem. Honestly. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I think Avengers is a good pull because, I mean, that was a culmination of a lot of, of work, a lot of man hours. And and it's I can't believe that they were able to pull it off. Uh, exactly. Let alone just yeah. the very first Avengers movie. And then, of course, like something like um, Endgame. It's it just blows me away, and uh, you know Lord of the Rings, same thing. That's a huge feat where they're making three movies at once, and there's this incredible cast, and it's like holy shit, how did they make this happen? And you know even something like Glengarry Glenn Ross, I think is a pretty cool ensemble film. That's a good um, example. Yeah, that's a really good example. You know, it's just a bunch of dudes in a room talking about selling, and that's that's great. I mean, all I those all, all those actors are are you know essentially best actor winners or or nominees or right. they they deserve it and and that's a fantastic movie. Um, but sure. you know that's a really good example. So yeah, um, I think um, I think what I said earlier too. I'm sorry, what I said earlier about uh, when I watched The Expendables. I think that's an example of an ensemble film for sure. But I think that that one could not accomplish what like Avengers Endgame did right. or, or Armageddon. Yeah. Ooh, I like Armageddon. I do too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Or like Saving Space Private Station. Ryan. So oh, Saving yeah. Private Ryan too. You know, That's they're all just one. marching along and uh, they're following the leader, the leader, <laughs> the lead. Okay, but, but that one though too. So you got Giovanni Ribisi. I mean, I don't know if many people could have named named him. And then same no, thing with couldn't. Vin Diesel, uh, Barry Pepper. I don't know if many people could have named them. Tom Hanks. Who, who the fuck is Tom Hanks? Like, Tom, Tom Hanks and 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 Matt Damon, <laughs> Matt Damon, and Tom Sizemore were probably your three probably. biggest. And then there was it yeah. was loaded with cameos. You know, there's all yeah. kinds of people that are in the movie for a half a second, uh, just like. Um, the Thid Ren line. I don't know if you ever saw that movie. Jim Caviezel. Um, and yeah, uh, it's, yeah, it's hard to watch, man. It's a very it's, hard uh, movie to watch. Whew. Um, I, I remember this sitting through a lecture once on that movie on, on why it was, why a lot of people didn't respond well to it. And one of the things that I thought was so <laughs> funny was that uh, the, in the movie, a lot of the characters walk from, uh, right to left, so it feels like they're going backwards the whole time. Whereas huh. in a traditional movie, they're walking from left of frame to right of frame, so like it always just seems like they're moving forward. And so it's kind of weird. <laughs> that is <laughs> like your, interesting. Your brain doesn't process it like it, the way it, a normal movie was. So right. right off the bat, you're just like, why? Why do I not like this movie? <laughs> Some sort of non-visual or uh, non-verbal cue as simple as just walking from from right to left instead of left to right. So this is this is fascinating, and I'm I'm sorry if I keep uh, harping on this subject, but I, this is really kind of actually fascinating to d- discuss. Do you think that a successful ensemble film? So you already said you know they they need to have interaction 
maybe not every single character has to have interaction, but they all should have a point of interaction. Do you think it needs to be a grand scale film? Like it has to be something where uh, there's a, a big thing ex- at stake. So like in Saving Private Ryan, there's a war. In Ocean's Eleven, it's a huge casino heist. In yeah, The Thin Red Line, it's a war. I mean, do they need something that's large scale? No, I don't think so. I mean, uh, Glengarry Glenn Ross, they're just hanging out in an office. That's true. It is like a play. And then even even uh, Boogie Nights, they're at like a nightclub a lot, or they're at a house party. It's not, they don't necessarily need to be, um, you know, doing some big event. I just think it like Clue, same thing. They're just in a house. They're just going from room to room trying to figure out who killed Mister Body. <laughs> so I mean, it's it's. I think it's. I think at the end of the day, it should just be a a a group of people. Let's just say four or four more that are constantly interacting with each other. Okay. No. Yeah. That's, okay. That's Th- what I that makes say. sense. All right. That makes sense. But I would say that it def- that's why I don't think that Pulp Fiction counts because a lot of times it's just two people on screen and it feels in Pulp Fiction more feels like a collection of stories as opposed to a giant, I don't know, intertwining thing. Uh, so like Reservoir know. Dogs, I feel like Reservoir Dogs is an ensemble film Uh, Hmm. because they're a group of robbers and then they come back to the warehouse and try and turns into a whodunit. Yeah. Well, and we, and we get to meet all of them at the beginning, you know, when they're at the diner. So that, that more makes sense in, in Pulp Fiction, maybe only five people at a time are really all intermingling as it kind of intertwines. Hateful Eight, I would say is an ensemble cast. I think Inglorious Bastards is an ensemble cast. The president. I think, (laughs) I think it's just one of those things. I mean, I could be wrong. I'm I'm just, to me, that's what my definition would be where multiple characters are, are interacting with everyone in the room. No, I agree with you. I think that's, I think it's a good analysis. So there's that. And then there's that on top of that. These are these are personal matters. <laughs> Anywho, now, did you enjoy the film's two sequels? Um, yeah, you know, I, I liked Twelve. I uh, I started it actually last night, right after I watched Ocean's Eleven, um, and I do remember liking it. I think I actually I myself owned Ocean's Twelve before I owned Eleven and Thirteen. I previously said, previously said my mother she bought Ocean's Eleven when I was a young lad, but uh, I bought Ocean's Twelve. And uh, I really liked it. Uh, And I started watching it last night, but I only got about halfway through because I was tired. And so I'll I'll finish it. And I don't remember much of 13. I do know Al Pacino's in it. And I believe that he is trying to get after Benedict. And then Benedict has to join forces with with uh, Mr. Oceans. And he's the 13th, I guess. So so sort uh, of it's more it's more uh, Al Pacino. He wronged Ruben. And so the gang oh. gets back together to right the wrong against Ruben. Mm. And because Al Pacino's character, I think his name is like Willie Banks. He, um, he is hated by so many people, including Andy Garcia, who is a rival. Um, Andy Garcia's sort of bankrolls, like how Ruben bankrolled their whole process in the first one. Right. Um, Andy Garcia is sort of that benefactor. To help move things along with conditions, of course. I really liked Vincent Cassell in uh, 12. I liked when he's doing all the crazy stunts and all the breakdancing and whatever. And then I like Catherine Zeta-Jones a lot. Mm. Catherine Zeta-Jones. But 
But yeah, they they were good additions to it. Yeah, and I think Andy Garcia, he's he's kind of underrated. I think I don't think he gets enough love, and he has some really cool suave moments in uh, Ocean's Eleven, as particularly when they're at eating dinner, and mm-hmm. he walks in on George Clooney and Julia Roberts sort of talking, and he sits down, and he's not even giving. George yeah. Danny, all that like time of day, you know, he's just kind of twiddling with Julia Roberts's, uh, with Tess's hand a little bit. And then, you know, just playing, kind of playing casual. And even when he's like, uh, he's like, uh, what is, uh, Terry? That's his name. He goes, and Terry. Danny Ocean, he's just like, Terry. And he's like, Danny. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, like, I, I love their back and forth. I thought it was yeah. so cool. Doesn't even look at sizing him. each other up, but not looking at each other. Yeah, it was great. And he just carries himself as this kind of fear, not fearful, but yeah, fearful man. Um, he's he's so polite, like he knows his va- the valets, he knows their their personal lives, he knows his casino manager, everyone around him. But he looks like that type of person that's so calculated that you're like, dude, if I ever step out of line with this guy, he's just going to kill me. Like, and he's not going to bat an eye. So I think, yeah, I think Andy, Andy Garcia is awesome. He did a really good job in that. Yeah, he but. really did. And they make that point of saying he doesn't just go after you. He goes after your family and friends just yeah. to kind of give extra incentive not to not to mess with them. Dude. Yeah. Crazy stuff. But yeah, I mean, I I, I remember liking them. I don't know. I, I need to I need to rewatch them. You said you didn't like them, though, right? Who? The, the sequels. I, I don't like the second one. I love the third one. I just think oh. the second one sucks. <laughs> I think it's so mm. boring and stupid. I like when they're in the and like the meta aspect and like they she looks like Julia Roberts. I'm oh, that like, was funny. Oh my god. I like when they go to the restaurant though and they're talking to uh the guy from I don't know, you've seen him in a lot of movies. He's in Goldeneye and stuff, but they're talking in code. And then he Matt Damon has no idea what they're talking about, so he quotes a Led Zeppelin line. <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. Right. See? Because actually, you don't even know their name. You're like, oh yeah, they're a bunch of stuff. <laughs> I don't know his name. <laughs> no, that's just funny because that's what it's like for all for the normal movie going audience. They're like, oh, I don't know that guy's name. So that's why that's why part of the magic of an ensemble cast is when it's a bunch of um, you know a listers. It's bringing all these people together to put butts in seats. Like, get the you draw. Know, he was in the guy in the thing, the other thing. I'll never forget about the time that you helped me out with that guy in the place with that thing. <laughs> that's what Ruben oh, yeah. says. Yeah. Yeah, that's what he says. <laughs> I'll, I'll never forget it. <laughs> I liked weird. that part. Yeah. Yeah, he's fucking cool. I love I love him. I think cool. He was in did you ever see the movie Capricorn One by chance? Uh no. Is it a space movie? Sort of. It's it's faking uh the uh, Apollo moon landing. Oh, no, I did not see it. Um, it's actually really cool. And Elliot Gould plays this reporter uh, who's trying to uncover the conspiracy. Check it out. It's actually pretty cool, though. Uh, I mean, just the idea of like these astronauts, they get ready, they're going in the shuttle, then they got to get, they take them out. Then it's like this whole idea where they're going to literally fake the Apollo moon landing. So it was just kind of done at the right time. Uh, I think the movie, gosh, when did it come out? And looking it up. 1978, so uh, the decade after we landed on the moon, basically. Oh, wow. You know what? I have not seen it. Just check it out. It's like Planet of the Apes, but a little less apes. <laughs> and a little less Mark Wahlberg in the remake. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. You know, it said that, that, I don't know if I included it in the trivia, but one of the reasons why he dropped out of this movie was because he wanted to do Planet of the Apes. Ugh. 
It's okay. Yeah. We all make we all make mistakes. <laughs> yeah. He was going to be Matt Damon's character. Oh, that would have been Wahlberg. interesting. Well, he went on to do the Planet of the Apes. <laughs> what are we doing here? I'm Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> I need I need to go work out. Exactly. I'm a peacock. You gotta let me fly. You gotta let me fly. <laughs> uh, anyway, do you have anything else to add? Uh, yeah, real quick. So I'm going to ask you a question about remakes because we've been talking about that. I mean, so this movie obviously was a remake and we've already talked about that. Um, and it w- it was successful and everything and so much so that they actually made another remake with an all-female cast a few years ago, which was Ocean's 8. I think that came out in t- 2018. Um, are you okay with remakes? I know we've kind of asked this question about horror films and, and we both agreed that it's okay to remake horror films. But are you okay with remakes in this certain sense or just like in general? Yeah. I mean, it just, at the end of the day, I think it just depends. Like there's, there's been a lot of interesting remakes and some that win awards, like a star is born. That movie's been made like three fuck times. And so yeah. <laughs> it's, and it always wins an award. So it's almost like, well, <laughs> who wants an Oscar this year? Let's just remake this fucking star is born and we'll call it a day. Schindler's um, list. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, good luck with that one. I um, know. That's a Ugh. good idea. No. Um, so, but I, I think Westerns can be remade, which is weird because, you know, they're, they're kind of a period piece already. But I mm-hmm. just think that um, every once in a while, there's just a Western that comes around that just sort of not quite re-energizes, but reminds me that that's a genre and that some of them are pretty cool. <laughs> right. And so... Um, I think Westerns can be kind of cool. I mean, even like Tombstone, we've, how many yeah. times have they told the story of the, the, you know, the, the okay fight at the OK Corral, right? So, I mean, it's sort of a retelling as opposed to a remake. But then, you know, if you look at like an honest to goodness shot for shot remake, something like Psycho, I don't think that needed to be remade by any stretch no. of the imagination. <laughs> no. I think it's a terrible idea. Yeah. Um, and comedy, I think, I think a good comedy is, is timeless. I think if it's, you know, if it doesn't have, anything in the way of like um you know racial humor or or homophobic humor but it's just honest to goodness side splitting laugh riots i think it can be timeless and so something like um you know planes trains and automobiles or um you know like so even like a tv show like i love lucy you know i can watch that and just laugh my fucking head off dude i mm-hmm. think it's so funny uh, a lot of it's physical comedy which of course is great but i mean it's hard to talk someone into watching a show that came out you know 70 years ago so you're like okay well here let's just remake it so i mean just for the sake of of renewing interest in young movie goers i think uh, remakes are are a good idea i don't know if i necessarily care for sort of the the photo real disney movies you know like turning dumbo into a live action or beauty and the beast in a live action lion king all that stuff I, I personally don't need any of that because it's our it's animated. It can it can last forever. I had no problem as a child watching the same cartoons that my parents watched when they were kids in the 50s. So I don't understand. But uh, from a, a cash sense and, and, a, and a business sense, I guess it, it, it works. Yeah. But um, like Mulan, perfect example. How much money did they spend to make that movie? And then guess what? COVID happened. Didn't get a theatrical release. It got a VOD plan and then now you get it with your disney plus eventually in the next couple of days so i mean i don't know tim that just didn't really work out but um something like uh seven samurai turning into magnificent seven turning into another magnificent seven turning into a bug's uh, life (laughs) yeah exactly like i i get it i mean it it works it's it's literally retelling 
of a story. It's like, oh, samurais are pretty cool, but a little, we need a little more guns in our samurai <laughs> movies. So a little more I, guns I, I in our it. Romeo and Juliet movies. <laughs> yeah, that's another one. How many times has Romeo and Juliet been done? But but then you have the one that that Tarantino or not Tarantino. That would have been cool. Can you imagine a Tarantino <laughs> Romeo and Juliet? Uh, a lot who of did that? Like a lot like of N words in that one. Baz Lerman. Lerman. Yeah. yeah so Lerman. he did he did that, but he said it kind of in our setting. You know, mm-hmm. and they're using pistolas and driving around in convertibles, but they're still biting thumbs at each other. And yeah. it was kind of cool. I wasn't I I was in high school when it came out. Mm-hmm. So I was I, I had seen like the 1970s one that every poor freshman in high school has to watch. <laughs> and, you know, I read the the play, but I think that one was the coolest. And I really dug the music. I loved the vibe. I love the way the color. I mean, I might not like it if I watched it today, but when it came out, I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. So, I mean, you know, bravo to them for for coming up with a fresh idea on such an old story. I, th- I think that's I think that's brilliant. Love me, love me. Say that <laughs> you love me. <laughs> so at the end of the yeah. day, I think I think remakes are a good thing. Uh, Parent Trap, that's another one. You know, that's a comedy. But uh, Lindsay Lohan, she went ahead oh, yeah. and did the remake of that. Oh, yeah. Um, but I, I think, I, I do think that it works best for horror. But I have no problem with any genre doing it. Mine is comedy. I'm a little, I'm a little iffy on the comedies. I, I would hate for some movies to be remade when I think that you could just pop in your old VHS and, and just... You know, rock out with your penis out and enjoy penis. <laughs> a, a kick-ass comedy. Except uh, the Nutty Professor is a remake. I yeah, love that movie. I love that movie. <laughs> <laughs> the movie's fucking great. Close the door. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Lilo, Pivo, Lou Ross, Teddy Pendergrass, Teddy P. Number six. Yeah, they they do Woo! love to shop. <laughs> or they do <laughs> be shopping. Do shopping. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> women be shopping. <laughs> you can't stop a woman shopping. Women do shop. Yeah, I fucking love that movie. I do not know that man. And you'll hear me and Dave say that all the time. I do not know that man. So, well, I I agree with you. I think so. I I think that it can be done if it's done tastefully. And I I think it's a good thing when it's done right. There are a few different things that I think, though, uh, qualify as, as being done right. And I think, you know, if there's enough time between the original and the remake, so uh, like a generation gap is, is a good thing. So you said A Star is Born. That movie, I think the last time that came out was in the 70s with Barbara Streisand and um, yeah. and like Josh Christopherson James, James Brolin. Shit. Yeah, or something <laughs> yeah. like that, right? Yeah. And so so that, that was a long time ago. So, sure. you know, I'm sure my parents watched that, but now you have one in, in, in the, the 10s of the 2010s and that comes out and it was awesome and it's a great story I totally get it it's a pretty linear story but it's still really well done and, and Bradley Cooper and Gaga were amazing in it Gaga, um, Gaga Lady Gaga but uh, I, I think that it has to be enough time in between the two so um, that's one one criteria and then maybe you know it, if it if it's made really well so if there's good production value if you can tell they put time and energy into it if it wasn't just slapped together just to make money then i think that that's a criteria um also if they can introduce a new aspect or maybe enha- enhance the story uh i think that that can be good so like you were talking about romeo and juliet and they use guns in this uh they're enhancing it because they're adapting because it would be weird to see modern day at that time, modern day Los Angeles or wherever this is. And people are using swords instead of guns. I mean, on the guns, 
My fair Verona. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, like my I'm, Verona. I'm... <laughs> Ooh, my little pretty one. <laughs> but uh, you know, I get what you're saying. It's like you can't go into no store with no rapier hanging off yeah. the side of your belt. And even on the guns, you know, it it's it, it's funny because it says sword on like Romeo's gun, and right. and it's but it's awesome, and that's why they still speak in the Shakespearean tongue. Um, but it's it's just a it's a it's a reimagining reimagining of it, but it enhances that story for modern audiences where we don't got to watch that '70s version, which I also watched in high school too. Um, but you know, we promptly then watched the the Baz Luhrmann one and we compared them, and that was really fun. But I, I mean, I think of movies like The Departed. That's a remake. Uh, a Star is Born. The Thing, one of my favorite movies of all time. True Grit, like you were talking about West Westerns. True Grit's an excellent choice. And same with 310 to Yuma. I think those are really good choices. And then uh, The Fly. Yeah, see, see, there you go. Two Westerns right there. Yeah, I think absolutely. There's something about the Western that just, it, it's cool inspires. when you see actors in your time. Yeah, like it's just, <laughs> it might be hard to get behind John Wayne, but you know what? I like Jeff Bridges, so I might enjoy the movie a little bit more. Absolutely. You know, he's like, when that guy falls, he's like, I do not know this man. <laughs> I fucking laugh my ass off. I was on a horse, I would have fell off. I've been laughing so hard. I like when he's like, You're you're not LaBeef. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, dude, you're killing me. You're just the dude all the time, but cool. Oh, so but good. like total recall, you know, that was oh, a they yeah. remade that movie. It's garbage. Uh yeah, Robocop yeah. remade that movie, garbage. Yep. Absolutely. It's, don't work. So and and so yeah, I mean, it has to have kind of all of those elements, or or a good majority of them. And and you're right with westerns. I think it's it's so interesting because the westerns died in in the 70s, 80s, right? Then you had something come up like Unforgiven, or you get your Tombstones, and those did really well. But we haven't seen a good western in quite a while, except for Cowboys versus Aliens. I mean, that was. Are you kidding? Fucking Django? Are you that that movie's well, fucking badass? Okay, but that's a different style of western, and 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 Tarantino has his own kind of genre and I agree it's a Western. I, I, I definitely agree with you. It's a Western, but I think that that one is, is, is a diamond in the rough compared to what we've seen. So like you talked about the, what was it? The Magnificent seven or something like that with, yeah, I think it's they re- they try to remake that again too. It was, that was yeah, that, that movie is garbage. Um, oh. But so, so they are going to remake one of, I know yours and mine's more favorite Western movies, the, the wild bunch. I heard that they were trying to remake that and that would definitely be an ensemble cast. But I mean, I'm, I'm a hundred percent in for that because I think that movie was awesome. Um, so yeah, I, I think Westerns for sure. But the thing that bugs me when a studio remakes a film solely for cash and they just, they just want to cash in on a well-known IP. I think that causes a huge issue. Um, because it's just a, a cash grab, like I'm saying. And I don't think it's necessary in any way, shape or form. And I think that the biggest and worst culprit of this is Disney. And you, that's what you were saying earlier. Like, I understand the want for doing these live action remakes. Sure. Right. I understand the want for doing Mulan. You want to maybe give some new information. But Mulan bombed even from critics. Critics were like, it's not very good. Um, they've just become so pointless and mundane, in my opinion. And I think it's just painfully clear that it's it's just for money. So I don't know, man, um, I'm I'm mixed on on remakes. Uh, I think there definitely needs to be some time because I don't I don't want to see like an Ocean's 8 and be like, uh, I love Sandra Bullock and I love all those actors. But why? Where's where's Danny Ocean? He's George Clooney. So I don't know, <laughs> you know, sure. Um, so I actually found a, an article from IndieWire of the 10 worst remakes of the past. What is this? Well, ever in their opinion ever but uh they have beauty and the beast from 2017 breathless from 1983 
Death Wish from 2018, Fame from 2009. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna live forever. And then uh, Footloose from 2011. And I agree. I did not like that remake of Footloose. I thought Kevin, the Kevin Bacon one was amazing. Uh, they have The Mummy from 2017, and that was that that Tom Cruise joint. Uh, Psy- Psycho, like you were saying, 1998. And it's been a long time since I've seen Psycho. But uh, yeah, that's pretty much a shot for shot remake, right? Psycho? Yeah. Uh, th- I don't... There's only like a, like two shots that weren't uh, the same. And I think one of them is like where he's like masturbating, looking through the hole. I'm like, I don't, I don't think I remember Norman Bates doing that. <laughs> right. <laughs> he might have been doing it, but I don't think it was as obvious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was like 19, like whatever, 60s masturbating where you just thought and pure thoughts versus actually <laughs> touching. I don't know. It's, it's implied. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, boy. And then, uh, yeah, number three, you said it earlier, too. Robocop from 2014. That movie was absolute garbage because I think that the 80s Robocop, the 87 Robocop was just unbelievable. It's just untouchable. It's a fantastic film. Uh, Rollerball from 2004. That was a garbage oh, movie. Yeah. Did you yeah. see the original with uh, James uh, No, I did not. But I do like the idea of it. It's kind of sure. like that, that like death proof kind of. And that was a remake, too. But uh, I like that post-apocalyptic weird sports world. But um, you know how we're going to decide things in sports to the death and it's going to be amazing. There you go. And LL Cool J was in it. But uh, uh, and then number one was the Suspiria remake from 2018. So I don't even know what that is. I know what Suspiria is. Um, I'm not I haven't seen the 2018 one. I saw the 70s one a long time ago. Um, I don't remember anything about it, but I'm not a horror uh, savant. I don't uh, I don't know it. <laughs> I don't know. I don't I don't know none of that. So. But then, you know, like, you know, there are some obviously really bad horror remakes, too. Like, um, you know, a lot of people weren't fans of the Nightmare on Elm Street reboot. The yeah. um, uh, well, I guess it's a reboot might be different than a remake. Uh, you know, a remake in the true sense is, uh, you know, a little bit closer to the shot for shot like Psycho. Right. right. Uh, you know, just a kind of a standalone. Uh, with the intent of that being the end of it. So like even Magnificent Seven, spoiler alert, there's a lot less magnificent folk <laughs> by, the, <laughs> by the credits. And, uh, you know, that's more of a remake, whereas a reboot would be to design to reinvigorate the franchise to get more films out mm-hmm. of it. So like mm-hmm. your, your Friday Halloween. the 13th reboots, your Halloweens. Um, yeah, Halloween's a good example, right? Because that movie just doesn't go away. And... Yeah, there was H2O and then skipping, skipping, skipping to H4O and you got <laughs> Resurrection. And then they, <laughs> they went from Resurrection to Halloween, the Rob Zombie yeah. version, and then Halloween 2, which basically retconned everything before. And then Halloween and Halloween 2 got completely retconned and everything up until this one from 2018, which was just Halloween. It was just called Halloween. It was a sequel to the original Halloween. Wasn't it 19? So. Wasn't it 2019? Oh, was it 2019? Oh, no, it was 18. It was 18. Yeah. God damn, time is flying. I know, right? Uh, but yeah, so Halloween is a sequel to Halloween. So it's very interesting. But yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, to be fair, though, I actually enjoyed the Rob Zombie Halloween. I thought it was So fun. did I. I didn't like the second one. I did like the first one, though. I like that he took some risks and it was a lot darker and he went into Michael's backstory a little more. Yeah. But, Plus, Danny, Tra- two, Dra- Danny Trejo is in the second one. He, uh, 
I think isn't he in the first one when he's like, oh, I was helping you, him. Mikey. I was nice yeah, to you. I think that's the first one. Oh. Um, but in the second one, they're out of the hospital pretty quick at, at the halfway point in the movie. Oh yeah, versus that's true. taking place all the way through. But I mean, um, yeah, that's a, that's a horror movie. So I think that that's I think it's fair. I, I, I think that those are some pretty big shoes to fill, like being one of the top slashes of all time. Yeah. And you're gonna remake it. That's a Cajoni's way. And um, <laughs> I think it worked. But um, there was another movie that you said in there that I. Uh, Suspiria, Rollerball, Robocop, Psycho, The Mummy, Footloose, Fame, Death Wish, Breathless, Beauty and the Beast. Oh, maybe you didn't say. It. Oh, I was thinking uh, of Poseidon. Uh, you know, there's a oh, with yeah. the cruise ship. That's that's kind of fun because technology allowed for a much more grandiose uh, adventure, which I thought was a lot of fun. Like so seeing a movie like Poseidon in the theater, I think goes a long way. You, know, you might lose something watching it on your on your boob tube, but a, a, a theater experience, I think it really goes a long way. I agree. But yeah. So, um, letter grade, what's our, what's our letter grade for oceans 11? Oh, holy shit, man. It's a, a all the way. Yeah, I agree with you. I think this is just such a fun movie and you can put it on, you can sit back, you can enjoy, you should pay attention, but if you've seen it before, you know, you can try to not pay attention. I guarantee you're going to come back in and be like, Oh, wait, hold on. I missed a part. Joel Azito from Big Picture Big Sound says, Whatever you do, don't pay attention. <laughs> what? That was the guy. Two out of four. Yeah, whatever. He's a, he don't, he don't know nothing about nothing. He's got a website. We have a website. <laughs> We're a bunch of nobody yahoos. So. <laughs> Every geek off the street has a website. But, oh, man. Yeah. Gotta be handy with the steel. You know what I mean? Earn your keep. Earn your keep. Doot, doot, doot. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I had that on cassette. Me too. Holy shit, Warren it G. It was a clear black night. A clear My friend Gene Warren Dean, we streets. called him Warren Gene. <laughs> <laughs> and then we eventually called him G Unit. <laughs> you got some fun names with the G. I don't have nothing really works for Justin except for Jaymani. I can't believe they're taking Jaymani's wealth. <laughs> they took my yeah. rings, they took my Rolex. <laughs> uh cool is that it is that the show uh i think so cool all right all I got. well thank you for listening to the don't be crazy xbox series one x podcast is it called xbox series x or xbox series one x it's <laughs> <laughs> xbox this. series oh, okay okay so thank you for listening to the don't be crazy podcast Remember to follow us on Twitter at dbcrazypod, at edgyarmo, and at zachdale60, where you can share your thoughts with us, and we will uh, gladly discuss them on our show. You know, heck, you can even tell us what movie you think we should watch for our next episode. Please make sure that it is streaming and readily available, or it's Beverly Hills Cop 2, not 3. <laughs> now we're talking. Oh, man, I fucking love that movie, then. We, we might just have to do that for the next one. But we love suggestions, so please, please reach out to us. We got nothing else to do with our lives, and we'll just respond like crazy. <laughs> uh, please also be sure to check out the other amazing uh, podcasts on the Geek Legacy Network. We have the Geek Legacy podcast with David, Randy, and Justin, as well as the Pixelated podcast with Stephen K. James. All that we ask is please don't be crazy. Thank you for listening. Thank you so much.